0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now, all right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And the Johnson House is in complete chaos tonight. We got kids running all over the place. I'm almost positive that when I stop talking, you're going to hear them in the background. But uh, that's life in my house. It's uh, it's crazy it's crazy. Oh, there's one crying. So (laughs) I'm not even going to try to edit any of this out because this is real life. And this is a a real podcast with real people. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Matthew Real. And Matthew is a pro golfer by day. And, uh, bow hunter by night when i say that he's not bow hunting at night but his his real job is a golf pro at one of his uh one of his local uh golf courses and he has recently got into bow hunting over you know the past handful of years and uh today is a discussion about that right how he tried to do the pro golf tour for a while we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how he transitioned into bow hunting uh, while still you know being a a golf pro and uh, we talk about the similarities we talk about the differences uh, between the two sports and uh, it's a really interesting podcast and uh, I know I've talked with some guys out there who like to golf but uh he's really good at golf and um me personally like i mentioned in the podcast i really suck at golf uh, so i don't do it unless i'm carrying like a, a six-pack around or maybe i just drive the you know drive the cart or i'm playing a, a best ball with one of my buddies and uh I, we always use their ball, no matter what, because I, I literally suck at it. Uh, so, that's what today's podcast is about. Uh, before we get into today's podcast, we got to do a commercial, right? And that commercial is by Hunter Safety Systems. Now, at the end of every podcast, almost every one of the over 400 podcasts that I've done, I've said something uh, about being safe right and uh, hunter safety systems offers a you know a variety of uh, safety harnesses right and they can be you know they can have something to set up your tree stands like in the summertime when you're doing your pre-hanging they have stuff that's lightweight they have vests they have stuff that's a little bit more comfortable they have literally every type of every type of harness for everybody and uh, so i think you guys need to go check out huntersafetysystem.com check out all the options because your safety in a tree stand is the most important thing right and uh, you hear it all all too often right somebody slipped and fall and got hurt maybe they just rolled their ankle and they got away lucky or they they got bruised and bumped up or they fell out and they got paralyzed so if you're hunting without in a tree stand without a safety harness man you need to get your head out of your ass and go buy one okay and uh, you can do that at com, and i mean it's pretty simple right so enough talking it's podcast time and this podcast is with matt real all right joining me today mr matthew real how you doing man
1: I'm doing great. How about
0: you, Dan? Can't complain. I just got back from a shed hunt today. Uh, I I dropped my kids off at daycare. I booked it an hour south. I shed hunted for like four hours, turned around, drove uh, back up, and here we are recording a podcast today. It was uh, very cold, and I didn't find any sheds, so all I did was basically just burn gas.
1: Yeah, well, you got to do that sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was I was hoping I'd run into uh, a lot more tracks and stuff, but it didn't even seem like the deer were uh, there in the area. Uh, I think the fertilizer company came and spread fertilizer all over the fields, and that I think what that did was that shut off that food source, and they went somewhere else. And, uh, so now there's, there's hardly even any tracks to, I guess, go look for beds or it looks like the whole area just kind of dried up.
1: Yeah, I did a little, I think you're kind of similar to us up here in Wisconsin that we got a lot of snow and a lot of ice and, uh, shed hunting is a little difficult. I was out twice and, um, same scenario. I, I saw a lot of coyote tracks and a lot of, uh, coyote hunter tracks on my lease But uh, not a lot of deer tracks, and and I didn't find anything either. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess there's still a little bit of time. Uh, I I still hear reports from people saying that it's about 50-50. You know, there's still some deer holding. So, you know, maybe there's still some time for my properties to recover and and move back into that food source. And hopefully hopefully I can find some more sheds because shed hunting is awesome when you find sheds. And shed hunting sucks. It's like you curse it when you don't find any sheds.
1: Absolutely. I actually was, when I shed hunted uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was meandering all over the place, kind of looking for, it's a new property that I have this year. So I haven't really, I got it late in the year and I hadn't had a bunch of chance to scout it. Um, so I took the opportunity to shed hunt and kind of scout some of those wintering grounds that, that you guys have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And, um, It found some great spots. I didn't totally waste some time, but, uh, but I didn't find much for, uh, for sheds for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, we're going to do a little bit of a hunter profile type podcast mixed with a little bit of a BS session today. So Matt, why don't you talk to us first and foremost, a little bit about where you're from and what do you do
1: for a living? Yes, I'm from um, south-central Wisconsin. Um, I live in Stoughton, Wisconsin, and uh, I'm a PGA golf professional by trade, and uh, I've kind of done that, chased a little white ball around and uh, made it into a career uh, in a cold climate, so I get a little bit of free time to chase deer and uh, do a little fishing here in the off-seasons.
0: Okay. You said Stoughton, right? Stoughton, correct. What's the lake is it Kiganza?
1: It is Kiganza.
0: Okay. So my buddy lived on Lake Kiganza and worked for a company called Epic, uh, just West of Madison, uh, man for like three years. And so throughout the summers when he was living there, man, I'd pop up and we'd go boating, boating on Lake Kiganza. We'd go fishing. We'd Basically, just party on his uh, house that he had right on the lake, and uh, that he was renting. And then I can re- I remember once every weekend while we we're up there, it's like the main drag that goes through town. There's like this really small diner uh, on the I want to say it's on the east side of the town on that main strip. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, like the coffee cup, maybe the coffee
0: cup. That's it. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, they have some really good breakfasts. Like I just they remember, do. I just remember going, like you know, it's a good way to kind of get a hangover to go away <laughs> when you go. Just absolutely stuff your face with, you know, the scrambled and they eggs. Serve, and they serve
1: liquor and beer for breakfast in there too, if you need it. Oh, they do. You I need know. to get back. Absolutely, you can get a, uh, you know, the big Denver omelet or the meat lovers omelet with a little whiskey old fashioned if you need to. Well,
0: I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not the guy that goes and tries to have the hair of the dog first thing in the morning. I'm the guy who likes to, uh, you know, drink as much coffee as humanly possible and and, uh, wash that down with uh, a good, greasy, solid breakfast. And uh, I just remember that, the, the food there being, being really good.
1: Yeah, it's a great little spot.
0: That's for sure. Do you, do you ever go fishing at all on Lake Kiganza?
1: Yeah, not, you know, I haven't, uh, I, it's a long story, but I, my, uh, I have two little girls that, uh, love the outdoors and, uh, when they were real little, they're five and 10 now. Um, so when they were, you know, five and newborn, uh, we had a boat and we were out there all the time fishing, did a lot of trolling. Um, so they could kind of just relax. And then, you know, as it got hot, we'd find some shade and they'd just fish for bluegills and whatnot. But, my boat got stolen so what um my yeah my wife was having a rummage sale and uh in our garage so i had to pull the boat out of the garage and i stored it for the weekend at uh my parents house and went to pick it up on uh um, sunday night and i went to push the boat to hook it up and it started rolling really easy and i so the boat physically wasn't stolen but Somebody came in and cut the motors off. Oh. Both I had a little kicker motor and a big four-stroke motor. They cut all the motors off, um, trolling motors, took all the electronics, cleared out all the rod racks, everything, and basically made the boat inusable. Um, so at that point, my wife said, well, I think it's time for to buy a camper instead of a boat. So I haven't been out there fishing a whole lot unless my buddy's calling me up and uh then i i can sneak away i certainly go but um not having a boat limited my uh time on the water a little bit well those bastards man i
0: man i just i get so mad when i hear stories like that because i know a boat motor and trail camera is two different things but i'm just about sick of people stealing my shit
1: (laughs) i'm with you i've had i've probably partly my fault but between golf clubs, trail cameras, tree stands, boats, uh I lose a lot of stuff every year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you are a PGA golf pro at a local uh at a local golf course there, right? Correct. Okay. So what do you do this time of year when you know, the reports are a foot of snow still on the ground in, in Wisconsin.
1: Uh, really, it's it's all boring stuff. Uh, once we get into the you know, the golf season is, is kind of chaotic. It's busy nonstop. You don't really have much time to do any planning and preparation. So it's kind of like preseason scouting a little bit. So um, get in and do all the budgets, all the ordering, get all the schedules laid out and all the events laid out for the year. Um, so then once we get uh, the green grass growing and the sun comes up, we can uh, hit the gar- hit the ground running with uh, kind of just pull a file for the month and uh, follow the game plan and run it through the season and then uh, go chase some bucks after it all wraps up. Okay so
0: golf is a very uh, is a sport unlike you know unlike football you can't just go around running around like a maniac and, and just like start hitting stuff and breaking stuff there's got to be like really good form really good focus all these things so my first question I want to ask you is how is golf similar to hunting let's say like big bucks
1: uh hit there you know honestly there's a lot of similarities that you can uh you know correlate and just being where I am when I'm you know a lot of the golfers that we have at our club and um, a lot of them are fans of the, your podcast. So I'm sure they'll be listening. Um, but there are a lot of outdoorsmen. So when I'm trying to teach the game of golf, whether it's to kids or adults, a lot of them can relate to fishing and hunting or archery um, easier than golf sometimes. Cause people seem to overcomplicate golf um, when I was chasing the dream of playing non-tour and doing all that stuff. Um, A very well-respected individual in the game of golf told me, he said, it's really easy. If you think about it, you're trying to put this ball in that hole over there. It's all you got to think about. So we try to simplify it. But if I know, um, let's take a, a person that is an archer that is working on their golf game, he can correlate some of that stuff. You know where we use like the aim small miss small. You know so from right. an archery standpoint, you know we're looking at like top of the heart. You're picking out a you know a hair on the deer. That's where you want the arrow to go. If you miss that small, extremely small spot, you're still you know kind of in the uh, in the boiler room aspect there. From the golf, you know a lot of people, you know try to hit the golf ball. I try to tie that into don't hit the golf ball. Hit a dimple on the golf ball. You know, so again, kind of that aim small, miss small. And, you know, we try to correlate that with, you know, the golf club actually swinging. Um, There's a term with golf swings that is called casting, which is a a lot like casting a fishing pole rod. You know, and you're making a lure cast, you use your your wrist. Um, And a lot of people seem to, when they're swinging a golf club, kind of stiff arm it. And... So I use a fishing pole, actually, and I, I tell them, if you don't use your wrist and try to cast that lure, you're not going to get it very far. So if we you have to use that wrist action and they don't think about it, they utilize that um, simply just by kind of natural talent. They use their wrist and cast that, you know, lure out there. Same thing with a golf club. If they're trying to stiff arm it, not use their wrist to keep everything square, they can make contact, but they don't get a lot of distance. So I try to correlate that back into that fishing scenario if we can rotate those wrists a little bit and use that speed it's going to help you hit the golf ball a lot further so it's nice in my area that I have a lot of sportsmen and sportswomen that uh, can you know I can uh, utilize some of those analogies that helps them learn a little bit faster and it's it's fun sometimes that little things like that help it click.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and and make a statement here. And that statement is, I suck at golf. I'm not very good at it. (laughs) Um, So before we get into the hunting aspect of it, what is the biggest mistake? Let's say a guy like me who just, I, I mean, I don't ever practice. Right, I don't, I don't practice golf. I don't play golf. Sure. But let's say the one time every two years that I get the opportunity to go play golf, what's something that I need to be thinking about when I go out and and play, uh, play golf with, uh, let's say like my brother, who, he he is the golf version of me. He takes golfing serious.
1: Okay. Um, if I would tell anybody anything, it's don't try too hard. You know, everyone is very analytical and they think about they make it very robotic about i got to do this i got to do this they think about all these things um and really if you think about you know from your standpoint going out a couple times a year think about it as i'm going to just try to move this ball over there and just let your you know god-given ability hand-eye coordination just take over and don't let your mind get caught up in Well, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Just let your, you know, hand eye coordination and natural abilities just try to move that golf ball from point A to point B and keep it
0: simple. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And, uh, and have lots of cold beverages on hand as well.
1: Well, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: That doesn't matter. That, like, like the, uh, how good of a golfer you are, that doesn't matter. That's like, that's the constant across it all,
1: right? Well, it's, it stimulates your natural ability. It helps you, you, okay. you know, you relax and you, <laughs> that's, you know, there's really some studies about that they, in the golf world where, you know, people go play and then they, they're, they're geared up and they're thinking, I'm going to, this is my day, you know, and they play four or five holes and things aren't going so good. So like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a bloody Mary. I'm going to have a couple of beers. And all of a sudden, they loosen up and they start playing really well and they never correlate that. That's really just the, it's the mindset really. It's not the alcohol necessarily. it's the mindset that the alcohol puts them in that allows them just to use their natural ability and, and not think about things so much. Yeah. And if you can start that way, um, or, you know, have some before you go out, um, you know, you'd probably be better off. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Um, because you can translate a lot of that back to hunting, right? Like, don't overthink oh, it. I, absolutely. I, th- I think that, especially, let's say, like strategy—not necessarily form or uh, the the archery side of things—but I think a lot of it has to, uh, can relate to, you know, let's say, strategy chasing mature whitetails right I think a lot of people sit there and I'm just as guilty as this we overanalyze everything and we're we're thinking about things too much when we just need to react and and um I guess don't talk ourselves out of a decision that we've made you know based off of you know because typically the first the first inclination is the right one
1: correct yeah cool. that's happened. Uh, I found myself doing that like all of us have many a times laying in bed going thinking of the strategy thinking of the wind thinking of what you know where that you know buck that you got kind of got him narrowed down where he's going to be and uh then you wake up and just go ah i feel like he's going to be over here and you go and there he is you know you can't uh can't put that stuff on paper and and try to analyze it too much yeah sometimes Absolutely. Hey, quick, random
0: question. Have you ever met John Daly?
1: I have. I have. He
0: seems like a cool guy to hang out with.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I can handle it, honestly, but uh, I have met him. I've met, you know, a handful of, you know, when I worked uh, in California a little bit at some golf clubs, I met some really good, you know, and prominent tour players and ball players and stuff like that. um, One of the, He's certainly one of the characters that uh, everybody wants to meet at least once. Right,
0: right. My son looks a little like my son. My youngest son has a John Daly esque, like he's like portly. My 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 son is portly, and he's got like this John Daly face. He's got like blonder hair uh, as a, aside from all my other kids. So for some reason, when I look at my youngest son, I think of John Daly
1: well maybe you'll be you know maybe he'll uh you'll have to teach him how to party like john Daly someday. <laughs> no dude
0: i've done enough of that for everybody in my family
1: uh, there's always room for a little bit more uh, life's uh, all about those experiences you
0: know? <laughs> right right all right so wisconsin right what's the uh what's the the deer situation like around stoughton and, and that part of the state
1: it's good you know i mean there's I, you know, listening to the podcast, you know, there's a lot of similarities uh, in my situation to what it sounds like some of your farms are at, Um, you know, certainly Wisconsin is heavy pressure um, everywhere, Um, whether you're, you know, people are just outside all the time. So, I mean, the pressure isn't always from other hunters. I mean, you get pressure from, I mean, trespassing seems to be like, seems like Wisconsin's all public land because people go wherever they want anytime they want, uh, whether they're hunting mushrooms or, um, just camping. Um, I've found a tent set up on private land, 40 yards from my tree stand. Um, but the deer, you know, are seem to be, I guess my focus, cause I don't have a big track of land, um, to hunt or I haven't previously until this year. Um, Deer seem to just kind of be one with the people type thing. You know, they live in little woodlots, um, urban areas. I know um, one of the podcasts on Wired to Hunt, they were about urban hunting. Um, I'm certainly not in that category, but there's a um, a lot of good deer hunting. There's deer, it seems like, around every corner if your eyes wide open kind of approach to it. yeah. Um, and don't overlook some of those four or five acre plots that are in between some communities might be loaded with deer. And, um, you know, the DNR has done a, I think in my opinion has done a pretty good job. Um, but year after year, the, um, you know, the regs change and we used to have the earn a buck program where you had to shoot a doe to get a buck tag. Um, and now we're kind of back to, you know, so you could harvest four or five does and have four or five buck tags, which was kind of fun, but, um, you know, now we're kind of back to the traditional, I think we get four doe tags with a, with our archery tag and uh, one, um, buck kill tag. And, uh, so they certainly want to take out a bunch of does and there's a lot of them. If you, you know, seem to take, put in a little time and, and find them. But each night I drive home, I probably have a 30 minute drive or so and I've been seeing 40, 50 deer every night I drive home. So population seems to be pretty healthy and uh, hopefully the CWD thing can get under control here a little bit. And it sounds like there's a vaccination out there that's uh, down the pipeline that might help us all out.
0: Yeah. So just to clarify that, that vaccination is not confirmed yet. FYI. Uh, Sure. It is some, it's, there's There's not enough information to say one way or the other, and I think it's from research that was done a very long time ago. Uh, so okay, uh, I'm not sure how accurate some of that information was when it when it got released, but God, I hope so. It'd be nice, right um, that'd be great, that'd yeah, be great. so uh, I know that Madison necessarily wasn't in that that initial big CWD zone uh, when that all broke out, what, how many years ago was that?
1: Yeah, I think it was, I just read an article about, uh, two weeks ago that it was more up by the lacrosse area. And I think it, it dated back like 2006 a lot or
0: seven or something like that.
1: Yeah. It was a lot longer than I thought. And it was really in Minnesota, but it's where it was in Minnesota was, you know, the Wisconsin river just cross, you know, the border waters there. So, um, that was kind of up in the west-central part of Wisconsin, I think, is where that, and, and eastern, east-central Minnesota is where the big outbreak started. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting, I, and they do a good job of, you know, you can, when you harvest a deer, you can certainly send in the samples. They have some drop areas where you can uh, get everything tested and whatnot. And, you know, knock on wood, I've, I've done that, and I haven't had anything come back positive in, in my area yet i do know a few that have um but i don't know exactly the the location or how close that location is to where i i hunt gotcha
0: but C, cwd is in your area right or not necessarily oh like yeah your, okay yeah gotcha
1: yeah we have a the harvest tag that's why we get the four doe tags because we're in a cwd harvest zone um so they certainly want to eliminate a lot of the doe population and, and try to collect more data on it and uh, try to reduce some deer numbers, in, especially in the does. But, um, yeah, like I said, I, I don't know anybody um, other than one or two guys that actually have you know, harvested deer that tested positive, um, and that's you know thousands of deer over the years that uh, I've been aware of that people have shot. Gotcha. Gotcha. All
0: right. So it sounds to me like you got a healthy population, uh, in the area. Now, when it comes to, I guess, a quality of deer, right? When you set your goals every year, um, are you, are, are you able to say like, I want to shoot a four-year-old or I want to shoot a five-year-old or is that uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to ask you what your goal is, but what is from a big buck perspective and like maturity level? Um, is it common to run into a four-year-old or a five-year-old or an older age class deer every season?
1: Uh, I would say it's. You know, speaking just from my personal experience, it seems to me that you know with a you know, I put in a fair amount of work and in some quite a few uh, hours of preparation, but it seems like every year I will get on a deer of, you know, four year old or older age class. Um, and that's on, you know, knock on door permission properties that are small plots. You know, I think the biggest one I had before I obtained my lease this year was about 17 acres. Gotcha. Gotcha. So
0: you hunt, I in think a,
1: you, you can, you hunt in ahead. an
0: area with like smaller parcels.
1: I, you know, so how I kind of got um, started in the whole bow hunting thing is I was, um, growing up, I had, um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' farm and my, my grandfather took us out hunting and, um, you know, was shotgun hunting and, uh, I never saw any deer ever cause I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, 12 years old and sitting out in a cornfield and just never saw anything. And um, I think when I was about 14, I got permission to hunt a private farm and uh, hunted there. And I, you know, first uh, couple days I saw deer and I was like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. And um, walking back up to get picked up by my mom later, you know, after the hunt, um, the farmer stopped and, and, uh, said, Hey, you know, I apologize. I didn't think it was a big deal, but my family's kind of all upset that I let somebody else out here, um, to gun hunt. And my brother and I were gun hunting and he said, so, you know, I, 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 unfortunately this is gonna be your last time. And I was, you know, I was pretty upset cause I was, you know, the first time I got to actually see some deer, he was, but if you bow hunt, you know, you're walking to bow hunt, nobody bow hunts. I went, Okay. So I went down to uh, our local uh, archery shop here in, in town and picked up a bow. I don't think it fit me or anything, but box arrows and shot for a couple of weeks and got good enough. Went out and started bow hunting. And then I f- figured out that I could bow hunt I didn't have a lot more access to some private land if I focused on the spots that most people were overlooking. You know, I wasn't looking for a 40 acre track. I was looking for, you know, that seven or eight acres behind your house or, you know, the 12 acres that's no one else is hunting because it's a long walk, um, stuff like that. And that gained me a lot more access. And, um, I, you know, I just had uh, a lot of success in, in those small spots and i just kind of kept
0: doing it. That's awesome, because uh, I tell you what, it only takes one tree to kill a deer, right? Well, if you're a, a tree stand hunter, but you know what I mean. Like it takes, right. it just takes a very small amount of space. You know, it's 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 when point A meets point B. You know, that's that's deer hunting, and you you don't need thousands of acres to do that. Now, if that thousand acres is managed and all this blah blah blah, it, that surely helps, but especially when, you know, the, like in some of these higher populated areas, right, where these deer sure. are, you know, deer are kind of can sometimes be overlooked in in this because there's so much other, other stuff going around that people may not see, you know, this giant deer, you know, standing in some
1: guy's backyard or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I just saw, I think last week, Dan Ingfall put out a, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or a, some sort of message about how the, the young kid, you know, first-time hunter success, because they're getting put in these less, you know, pressured spots that everyone overlooks, you know, and dad and grandpa want to go to the back 40 and they're going to put their, you know, young child up towards the front of the farm where it's easy access. They always walk by it and they overlook it how many times do you hear that story of that first time hunter, you know, shooting the biggest buck that they've ever shot in camp? Yeah. And, uh, he said, people got to focus on those, the walk by spots, I think is what he called them that you walk by all the time, and you overlook, um, deer figure that out. And they they sometimes hunker in there and let you walk by them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So what
0: year was this that you went and picked up a bow for the first time?
1: Oh, Wow. I'm 41 right now. So what is that? 25 years ago?
0: Okay. 25 years. So by, by basically being forced into bow hunting, you know, you made a decision. It's like, I want to keep this property, but the only way I can keep it is if I bow hunt. So in a way it's kind of like fate brought you to bow hunting.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: Gotcha. So, you know, after that first initial year, um, is bow something is bow hunting something that you fell in love with uh or was it just kind of uh uh eh, you know I'm doing it because I have to do it if I want to hunt right or did you or did you just kind of like cannonball into bow hunting at that point
1: uh well, I was pretty young, you know I was fourteen I think at the time, so I was kind of limited, you know I couldn't you know ride my bike to a spot or anything like that, so I was a little bit limited but um, totally fell in love with it. And then, you know, as through college, I, I played a lot of golf and I was trying to chase that dream. And I was in, you know, Southern California, not a highly, uh, a great bow hunting spot, I guess. So I, I kind of got out of hunting, um, until I moved back to Wisconsin in 2001. And, um, again, I kind of found it the same way. I kind of lead back to you know, how I got permission. Um, and, you know, use some guys when I moved back that had some, some small spots to hunt. I said, you know, kind of just a knock on door policy, asked if, uh, they minded if I hunted that eight acres behind their house and I'm just bow hunting, I won't use a firearm close to the house anything like that. And, uh, and kind of was able to work myself back into it. And, um, yeah, now it's just something, uh, I always kind of use the statement that I, I golf to be able to afford to hunt, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of cool if you think about it, but, Right. um, you know, that's my means of income, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 12 months out of the year focused on, you know, bettering myself as a, as an archer and, and trying to manage, you know, how to get better. And, you know, I don't chase a certain age class or antler size necessarily. I just try to you know, challenging myself, I guess, in bettering, you know, shooting a more mature deer than I did the last year or the most mature deer that I can find. Um, and you know, I pass up, I don't need to kill a deer. Um, like most of us, um, I, I enjoy, you know, I would certainly love taking a doe, uh, early in the season and filling the freezer and getting, you know, that part taken care of. And, um, I enjoy just being in the tree. It's, you know, it's kind of that solitude uh, of the chaos from the summer that kind of culminates in the, in sitting in a tree by yourself is, is my favorite part. Um, And trying to be, you know, kind of that ghost in the tree when deer are just doing their natural thing is, uh, is the best part for me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So, 2017 you know we're gonna we're not gonna go through the whole you know teaching yourself how to hunt teaching yourself you know wind direction and stuff i kind of want to get into this uh the story of the buck from 2017 because you sent me a picture of it and that thing's gigantic and it's beautiful and um so why don't you first off describe to the listeners what this buck looks like so they have an idea of what this deer looks like to, uh, you know, th- so when you tell the story, they have something to, to reference.
1: Sure. So he's a mainframe seven by six. Um, and uh, he's just a giant body deer. He's wide. He's heavy. Um, I haven't had him officially scored yet. Uh, green scored uh, was 164 and an eighth, I believe was the number. And he was aged at four and a half. Wow. Um, so I thought, I thought he was older and bigger. Um, but I would have still certainly taken the shot that I had on him, but, um, it was a great, uh, Ozonix aha moment as well. Cause I had, I'd been in Ohio the week before, um, I was actually able to kill him and uh, I hadn't seen that deer before on the area I was hunting. I had another uh, spot about, let's say, maybe a mile away, another small spot. And um, I had seen him there, but um, I didn't have access to that end because of the wind and um, was bad. So my other spot that was closest, I had kind of a so-so wind to go in there, and I'm like, you know, I was in Ohio, and I kind of had a long week. I saw one pretty nice buck, was able to shoot a doe, and we had some her on the campfire and uh, had a few cocktails and some backstraps that night, which was fun. And um, so I came back and wanted to really see if I could catch up with this deer, but I was just getting a bad wind for where I had seen him. So I went to a different parcel with a so-so wind and was hoping it'd come from you know, a certain, um, kind of lowland marsh area that and then work themselves out. Of course, like deer do, they come from the exact opposite area that you want them to. So I was sitting in the, I actually went in and I was going to sit in a ground blind, um, because of the wind and, um, just not, not a tent hub blind, but just a natural ground blind, um, and set that up. And I was, set up for 15 minutes and i had uh you know probably a three-year-old eight pointer three and a half year old eight pointer just running those all over and he came by me three times and i wasn't going to shoot him but i tried just drawing back on him just to see you know if i could do it because it was the first time i it was actually a line that i had set up for turkeys and uh see if i could get my bow drawn in there good and, and i couldn't and uh so I kinda did the uh, sneak attack army crawl to um stand location I had about probably a hundred yards down the line and uh got in there. And that eight pointer was running deer all over and um uh, he actually came with a doe and they were on my downwind side and I had my phone out and I was just taking video of this buck and he was a ten pointer, you know, he's a kind of a narrow short time 10 with this dough and they were dead downwind to me for probably 10 to 12 minutes and not once you know I had my Ozonics just cranking and not once did they even lick their nose to you know check the wind or anything he he obviously focused on the dough and um you know I was just thinking this thing is worth every penny and and uh it was pretty cool just to watch. So I just wanted to get some video of it and show my buddies, you know, here's this cool block. It was a pretty cool interaction. And so I kind of get comfortable videoing this deer. And then I'll just hear like the Godzilla grunt come from the marsh. And I'm going, what was that? You know, I quick tuck my phone away and, um, grab my bow before I see anything. And he just came out right, right behind me and got, that downwind to me at 18 yards and stopped and was not really on full alert. I think he was just kind of watching that doe and was able to slip a broadhead in there, good shot, and uh, watched him fall over. And then I just started celebrating Man. by myself, you know, how would we do that?
0: That's nuts. So so whenever I think of Wisconsin, for some reason I think of, you know, uh, you know, Dan Infault talks a lot about, you know, the marshes and finding buck beds in the marsh and whatever. It sounds to me like the, the marshes a little bit further, like is where a lot of these deer are coming from. And then they work their way up into the property that you hunt in kind of like a CRP type grass.
1: Yeah. So really what I've found and I, and I think I kind of have it figured out now is I've been able to get some good mature bucks on the ground. Uh, like an 18 this last season, I, Got a nice double beam um, nine pointer. And I just have a spot, it's seven acres, um, but there's a resident doe population. They're there all the time, year round. You know, they eat out of the homeowner's garden, uh, you know, and they're trying to shoo them away, and they just, they're pretty accustomed to people, but behind that, um, seven eight acres is thousands of acres of public hunting ground which is all marsh. And you know, I think those big bucks just lay in there and you can kinda aerial maps you in, in the wintertime, you can kind of find those really out of the way, you know, a half hour, one hour hike from any access point to the public land that are just these kind of islands that are a little bit higher dry humps in the marsh. And I think once that rut comes, you know, those big bucks will just get pulled out of all that marsh area and they're going to start harassing kind of the resident does that live on the exterior. And um, if you're in the right spot and don't, you know, disturb the natural tendencies that those does have, you know, I can, on this one particular spot, I can tell you if I'm in the tree by three o'clock at last year at four eighteen PM I would start seeing the seven does that live there would walk by my tree. So they Within, were
0: on a they were on a schedule.
1: They were on a schedule. So it was, you know, give or take a minute or two, but it was like clockwork. And if you just, you know, I was patient with the wind and, you know, once you got the right day, you could go in there and sit and, you know, sneak in there kinda of quiet you know, I park right by the house. So that it kind of seems like normal everyday stuff. And, um, you know, I probably walked back, you know, walk through two acres maybe, um, to get back to, you know, the kind of the crossing pattern. But, um, it was the day I saw that I saw seven bucks and, uh, and he was just the largest, most mature buck in that group that I had seen and, uh, and had on camera. So, was able to to get a good shot on him and uh, awesome. Get so him out of there.
0: Was this buck uh, a buck that you had seen before or had any past history with?
1: I'd seen him on the. You know, I didn't have. I had uh, the buck that I shot this year. I had um, seen him on hoof before, and the buck that I shot in seventeen, I had seen him actually seven times prior to me shooting him but i never got a trail cam picture of him
0: okay so was this buck doing uh the the same kind of thing like that the does were like during the rut he obviously was focusing on that specific doe group and was he trying it sounds to me like like the uh, the bucks would breed one and then just kind of go down the line and try to breed every doe within that doe group
1: Yeah, I think that's accurate. You know, and what I haven't heard talked about before in any podcasts or magazines, or, you know, I've certainly heard about how different, you know, certain does come into estrous cycle at different times. Um, but what I've kind of seen is on some of my different plots that I have to hunt, you know, these small acres that have kind of a resident group of does. I can almost tell, you know, tell you that a spot that I have, that's 12 acres that group of does comes into their late, their late group of does. So if I go in there in November 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, um, I don't see a lot of rutting activity for the last four or five years. You don't see bucks chasing don't see, just see the does doing their own thing. But if I get in there, you know, December 15th, 16th, um, there's bucks everywhere. It's like early November. With that with that group of does, um, or another spot, so I kind of have marked what I've seen over the years hunting these smaller plots. Kind of the cycle that, or the estrus cycle that I've seen when these does come into heat, and then I try to trigger my time on those spots during what I've historically kind of marked down and plotted um, for the estrus cycles. Right. Which is kind of cool to be able to do yeah. I just hope that hope I'm guessing right, I guess.
0: No, absolutely. and that's one thing that I've started to learn over the last um, couple of years on the main farm that I hunt all of the big boys, right the mature deer that I get excited about um, during the summer, you know where when I can get all these awesome trail cam pictures of these Booners and whatnot right. Typically, September hits they go away, and then they don't come back oh and when they do come back, it's for like a week or or so i'm gonna say the week before Thanksgiving that okay. you know, somewhere around November you know fifteenth and on for the next ten days right and sure. uh like this year, the biggest buck uh this buck I've been calling gnarly charlie uh he he disappeared and then he showed back up on November 13th uh and the 13th through the shotgun season and then he then I hadn't well then I took down my trail cameras and I don't know where he's at now but um it was crazy to to see the late activity on this farm on a consistent basis now to the point where I may not be as excited to hunt the first week of November anymore so that I'm, you know, so that I'm not putting any additional pressure on on my farms uh, that first week, knowing that uh, either the the does aren't going into estrus or the big bucks just aren't there yet.
1: Sure. Yeah, and it may, you know, I know there we've, you know, I've listened to and you've done some podcasts, and I know Mark's done some podcasts with, you know, how you look at trail cam picks and you see that, you know, that target buck you know, on an annual pattern. And what I've seen is that kind of that annual pattern is really set up by the doe's annual estrus cycle. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's kind of interesting how even, you know, they might be 15 miles apart, but they're three months or three weeks different on their estrus cycle. And you yeah. can kind of plot around, the, you know, the, the estrous cycle and, and hunt, on that pattern, which is kind of interesting to think about, but that's what I've been trying. And it seems to seems to have been working for the last couple of years anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, this buck that you ended up shooting, uh, in 2017 that you were talking about the, the six, was it a 13 pointer six by seven? Correct. Okay. Well, is he one of the biggest deer you've ever killed?
1: He is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. What, uh, so that particular little piece of property that borders up against that marsh is that a historically good spot for you th- throughout the years?
1: It is, yeah. It's you know again, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of. There's a fairly large resident doe population there, so um, again, if you if you don't hunt it much, you can um, you know and kind of plan your hunt around, you know, some weather patterns and that kind of charted estrus pattern. Um, Yeah, there's definitely some, some good bucks that run through there. Um, That is the biggest one I have seen on that spot um, over the last three or four years. But uh, there's always, there's always going to be every year in that spot, a mature four-year-old or, uh, or better running through there at, at some point and that, that particular spot's an early November spot. Yeah.
0: So how important, I mean, where, where do trail cameras kind of play into your strategy? If they
1: play into your strategy? Uh, You know, that's probably my area that I need to, and that's when I listen to a lot of your podcasts, how you kind of, I think the one that you had last week about, you know, kind of narrowing that web on them. Um, I've probably been a little bit too careful. I run, you know, a couple of wireless cameras, which kind of are game changers, I think, to me, you know, where you can kind of watch without any intrusion. Um, And so I run, I think I had 16 cameras out last year, but I never moved any of them. Um, You know, I, I think I maybe moved to, I guess, but I didn't do the whole, I didn't pattern really a buck and just kind of watched for activity and activity trends, um, and try to get kind of an inventory really of what's there. And I probably can do a better job of like you put it kind of narrowing that web in on a buck, but because my spots are small, um, my web's pretty small to begin with. Yeah. So I try to put a camera, you know, where I, and I've had these spots for a number of years, so I kind of know the deer movement, but, you know, I'll put one camera where I feel they're coming onto the property, one camera in, you know, I always use like a black flash camera in the bedding areas, um, or a wireless camera. Cause I've seen too many times that, you know, a mature buck, you get on camera once with a, you know, either a flash or an infrared camera. And that's the only picture you get. So I try to use those cameras in the bedding area. Then I try to put one by where I think they're exiting the property. So I can try to pattern them coming, you know, coming on of the property, where they're bedding or feeding on the property, if they are at all, and then where they're exiting the property. And I try to narrow that down a little bit. And because I kind of know those patterns already, I haven't moved cameras a whole lot, um, which I probably – We'll focus on you know this coming season of being a little more active in, in trying to even narrow that web down a little tighter yeah so
0: are there a lot of other hunters in that area that you hunt
1: for for archery season there's not you know i um because i think everyone again is looking at these you know larger plots and they kind of they, they're kind of overlooked areas for the most part um i bet you know I don't battle a lot of hunters. I battle a lot of people walking dogs and, you know, hunting mushrooms or um you know, just squirrel hunters, all kinds of things like that, but not a lot of actual pressure from other deer hunters until gun season comes, um, then it's kinda all over. Yeah. That's absolutely you know, and then I kinda just run cameras again, you know through gun season just to kind of see what I knew was there and what's still there. And, uh, pretty lucky this year. I think we got, you know, everything that I had that, uh, was exciting last year. Um, I saw on camera after, after gun season. So it should be a good 2019 archery season. Yeah. I hope
0: so, man. That's awesome that, uh, you found one of those spots. Uh, I wish I had one of those spots, but, uh, I don't <laughs> I, I, I wish I guess I, I take that back I have a couple uh, Pinch points that if I really Wanted to I could go in And I could sit probably You know depending on the wind Every day of the season and at, at some point Connect you know get an opportunity At a mature buck but that To me just I don't know I think it would get boring to hunt the same exact Stand over and over and over
1: again Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I think I had, I had seven different properties that I could access to hunt. Yeah. Um, and two of, so one of them is the largest one I share with uh, a real good buddy of mine. And, um, you know, so I don't, because I have these other spots, I don't want to impede on him unless he's, you know, um, kind of tagged out or has kind of got his thing because that's his spot. he only has so i try not to you know impact him and try to stay away but try to get out there with him once or twice just for camaraderie of you know sharing the hunt a little bit and then getting on i did get on a lease this year towards late in the year so we didn't have a lot of time to do it but that's like a 260 acre lease and um so that's a big property but it is it's a lot different game on that size property than a 17 acre plot. Cause there's a lot more, uh, you know, chunks to break down and try to figure out if this chunk's good if the, you know, and, um, I, I think I kind of like the little 17 to 12 yeah. acre spot because you, you can figure it out a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well,
0: Matt, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, uh, chit chat with us today. Um, congratulations on it sounds like uh the last couple seasons have been good to you and good luck uh, moving forward
1: you as well dan i appreciate it
0: And there you have it. We're done. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to uh, Matt for coming on. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, the listener, very much for taking time to follow this podcast. Make sure you're joining me on social media uh, and the Sportsman's Nation on social media. Uh, We're talking Facebook and Instagram. Uh, If you haven't already, go visit Sportsmen'sNation.com and... Uh, sign up to be part of the mailing list scroll to the very bottom of any screen and uh, enter your email address other than that man i'm just going to keep this real short thank you to all the partners of this podcast exodus ozonix wasp lone wolf deer lab prime ripcord and lastly hunter safety system guys if you're going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good week